This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. This is Lee Chui Lin and Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, can economic initiatives from the government ever really do enough to accommodate the different sorts of financial needs and burdens in the country? So we're talking about this because there have been some complaints about the Padu registration portal and that it isn't comprehensive enough in capturing different sorts of financial situations. So we look at how nuanced these sorts of initiatives should, but also can be. So this is particularly focused on the M40. We'd like to hear from you. Are you an M40 person who's been feeling the squeeze? That number to call double seven double three two nine hundred. Tweet us at BFM Radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U Mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08, so I'm not going to go through Padu um, again and, and the whole introduction of what it is <laughs> because we've been going gangbusters on that. Um, I was going to say, but why? We've only said it every other day. Yes, yes. We've only done this show six times. <laughs> um, so anyways... I think by now people are familiar with the fact that there is a new centralised information portal. Uh, We're all supposed to register on it. There have been some controversies. There have been some concerns around security breaches. Those have been resolved. It's been a whole thing. Now, um, now I think there's time to get into some of the more nuanced conversations because according to a report from Banama, there have been complaints, particularly among single M40s, and those who have heavy responsibilities, that the fields within the Padu registration portal are simply not comprehensive enough and that they need to be improved. And this is particularly related to details around things like total dependence and what the term household covers. So the example given by that Bernama article, um, and I'm just sort of summarising it, says... Something like if you are an M40 individual, right, and perhaps you don't necessarily live at home with your parents, but you may be on paper earning an M40 salary. Um, And if you live on your own, then that's your household. But you may in reality not just be uh, paying for yourself, but also perhaps supporting uh, two elderly parents. You might have younger siblings that you're caring for. Now, that was the example given in the article. You might have grandparents. Yes, but there are multiple layers that you can add to this, right? Because people have have realities and financial uh, uh, obligations that can very well extend much further. And when you limit it to these sorts of how many dependents do you have? Do they live in the same address? How do you accommodate that? But then on the other hand, can these sorts of portals ever accommodate this level Uh, of detail? So this is my thing. Um, This is what I've been thinking about. I'm not sure how granular and specific we expect the government to be... And and the thing is, right, I'm not arguing that they shouldn't be, eh, just to be clear. Um, But because, of course, if we are talking about something like subsidies, if you're talking about something like, well, I pay taxes, um, I am also feeling the squeeze in this economy, am I not entitled to what I should be entitled to? All of that is, of course, a very cogent argument for why the information should be as specific as possible, why it should encompass as many people as possible. Um, I think, though, that in practice, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not an economist. I'm not somebody who's ever done something like this um, or checked information on this level. But I am curious about 
exactly how specific information that is gathered like this can be. And from a governmental level, when you draw up policy and when you're trying to parse who gets what, under what circumstances does who get what, how specific can you be without it falling into inefficiency? Well, and this is particularly relevant when we talk about something like Padu, even though it's not just confined to Padu, right? Because it's been promoted as being useful in the dispensing of targeted subsidies. So, and that's where this sort of thing comes in quite handy, or, or rather this where this sort of thing runs into issues as well, because uh, let's say you're talking about subsidies for childcare um, or subsidies for parents, right? Um that is something that can be quite easily accommodated for under the household or dependence sort of umbrella. But what about elderly parents? What mm. about siblings in the examples that we use? How does a person who is single, who may be bearing the burden of paying for these, uh, you know, these family members, how will you be available? How would you make yourself uh, known and say, well, I deserve a subsidy for this as well because I'm also a, uh, a a breadwinner for a family. It's expanding the definition of dependence outside of immediate family in some ways or outside yes. of traditional bounds, right? And and that can be very tricky, but I think it's also necessary to accommodate the realities of most people's financial situations. So let us know. We're talking today about a report that has pointed out that there have been complaints from people in the M40 bracket about how the fields within Padu simply do not accommodate their financial realities. And we wanted to hear from you. Are you somebody in the M40 or even, I guess, the, the bottom T20 who's really been feeling the squeeze, who has a lot of responsibilities? That number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist and professor at the Malaysia University of Science and technology. Keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.14 and this is Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. We're talking today about, well, Padu um, and complaints from particularly single M40s that Considering their responsibilities, their financial responsibilities, the fields within the Padu registration portal that determines who gets subsidies simply isn't wide enough or specific enough to accommodate. And I think we want to talk about that, but also in a broader sense, um, the struggles of people within this bracket, um, the struggles of the government to collect information that will be helpful in this way. Let us know. Are you an M40 person who has been feeling the squeeze? That number to call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now we have Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist and professor at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. Jeffrey, thanks so much for speaking with us. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, so this. <laughs> has increasingly been a concern recently, um, particularly post-pandemic, that the financial burdens of the M40 simply don't seem to be uh, visible enough or they're not taken into account. What have you observed about this? Um, I think that there is some justification for these types of observations because what we've seen um, over, really over a decade or more, but particularly, of course, during the pandemic period when people were particularly squeezed, is that quite a lot of assistance that has come from the government in various forms has been directed toward 
the lower income groups. So of course, with justification, we understand why the government would want to do that. But then, of course, when we have blanket subsidies, the opposite is true. And it is actually the highest income groups who benefit most from the blanket subsidies. And what this means is that those in the middle income groups tend to be squeezed. And if we look at the um, the, the wage data, for example, we can see this very clearly. So high-skilled uh, workers have seen their salaries rise by about 50% over the decade from 2012 to 2022. Um, but low-skilled um, wages have risen by 96% over the same period. And this is largely because a lot of assistance has been targeted toward the uh, low um low salary people and of course the main the main form of that has been the minimum wage but in the middle those with um who, who are semi-skilled and have middle income um levels of salary their their wages have only increased by about 40 percent over the same period so you can see that they have been squeezed quite a lot and um the, what we can also observe is that many people in these groups look for multiple jobs so when um, we think about gig economy jobs or side hustles or things like this, in my um, anecdotal experience, but also I think you can see it from the data itself, people in middle income groups are topping up their salaries from their formal work environment, so to speak, by taking on these side hustles more and more. And that's a consequence of um, being squeezed with the cost of living because their salaries aren't rising otherwise. And a third observation, which I think is quite important, is that the government, the, the statistics department have been pointing toward unemployment falling, which is, of course is true, uh, and also have been point, pointing toward labour force participation rising, particularly for women, which of course is also true. But this is often not because the economy is booming or the economy is getting better. It's because people have to take on additional work in order to prop up household income and family income. And this is particularly true of those in the middle income groups. So these type of um, data points are telling us that the middle income are squeezed. How much of this comes down to not having clear or accurate parameters for what might constitute a middle or upper middle class income versus their expenses? No, well, I mean, if you use the term class to someone from England, you're going to get into it. <laughs> you're going to get into a deep, deep, deep social discussion about etiquette and what it means to be working class and middle class and so on. I mean, if we talk about if we talk about income groups, the definitions are um, clear if they're done on an individual basis because it's simply a matter of statistics. We've been used to these issues of B forty M forty T. 20. Um, and so we can actually define people in those sort of groups. But what, of course, we're finding is it's not helpful. What we know is that there are people in the in the um, middle income groups who are actually struggling. So that type of definition, just on pure statistics, isn't isn't helpful. So this is, I think, one of the main reasons why we're aiming to move away from that type of uh, purely statistical um, definition and move toward something which is more reflective of what you would expect to um to to experience in terms of your living standards based on the the type of qualifications you have the type of work that you're doing and uh, the type of income that you should expect for the contribution that you're making 
So this has come to the fore again and, and become rather obvious with the launch of Padu because there have been complaints that the fields within the portal just weren't comprehensive enough, even though there has, of course, been an attempt to get more granular. Do you agree that this was an issue? Uh, no, I don't, actually. I think there there were some people who are complaining. I don't know who they are, but I mean, there were some people who are complaining that it's not collecting enough data. There are other people who are complaining it's collecting too much data. Um, I happen to agree with Tanshree Nuaslan, um, who's a, a very good economist, and he basically said, look, with a, a, an exercise as difficult as this, we have to um, expect that there will be some teething issues and uh, we have to understand the level of tolerance about how much data we need to have and how accurate that data needs to be. It appears to me that, you know, Padu was launched on Tuesday of last week. Wednesday, there were some complaints about um, various issues. Thursday, those complaints had been pretty much settled. And then by Friday, people were then moving on and talking about the opportunities from Padu. So as far as I'm concerned, I think that it's a very good um, exercise. And the question of complication and greater data and less data, um, in my view, doesn't uh, really add to, to the discussion of Padu. It collects the data that is needed. So we'll get back to uh, Padu specifically in a bit. But before we do, realistically speaking, how much information does the government need in order to be able to sufficiently channel help to people in a way that's both inclusive but also efficient? From an economic, from a purely economics perspective, it le- it needs very little data. The the first piece of data it needs is um, what is is, a, is some estimate of what we think is necessary for you to have a decent standard of living, and this can come from various forms. So in Malaysia, we could have the EPF data from uh, Belanjawanku. We can have the universal basic income measure from Bank Negara, or we can have the poverty level um, data from DOSIM. And once you have that as basically a a measure of what people need in order to live a a reasonable standard of living, then the only other piece of data that you need is whether they uh, are earning above or below that level. And if they're earning above that level, they get on with their lives as normal. And if they're earning below that level, then they are eligible for some form of assistance. So it really is as simple as that, actually. So if we look at what Padu is taking into account, it's an individual's monthly household expenses, dependents, um, and cost of living according to location. This is not, we're moving away really from B40, M40, T20. How do you see this benefiting people and the specific kinds of aid that they can receive? I would hope that the um, type of welfare assistance that they're going to get will be um, more focused on their income. And uh, it, it, it should be purely a, a question of um, what do they need to spend? In other words, what do they need to buy in order to reach a particular level of decent life, decent lifestyle? This is not a, an opulent level of lifestyle. It's just a decency level and whether they have that on an individual basis or not. And uh, that's, I think, one of the biggest benefits of it. The second is that it is done on an individual basis rather than on a household basis. And that um, helps to give people more agency and more. it empowers people much more and it directs the money to them specifically, personally, which means that they themselves can make the choice as to how they want to spend it. 
um, according to their own personal needs, which, of course, will include the needs of their family. But it won't necessarily be that it, the money goes to the head of the household. And that may not get down to the people who within the household who uh, really need it. So the, the system should help to empower people much more by directing the assistance on a more individual basis. So actually speaking of household, um, some experts have pointed out that there needs to be a change in the way we define those terms, right? Whether it's a household or uh, something like total dependence. What do you think about these terms being used as a gauge of a person's financial obligations? Well, the question of dependence, whether, you know, who, who are dependents and who are not dependents is not uh, just an economic consideration. It's also a social and cultural um, consideration from an economics consideration is actually quite straightforward. Um, the, your parents are not your dependents unless they uh, have no income at all. Then, if, then if they don't have any income, then yes, they would potentially be a dependent on you. But they could also receive income from the state, in which case that wouldn't necessarily make them a dependent um, on you uh, if they have some other form of assistance. So, I think that these issues do need to be uh, considered. But uh, in terms of um, changing definitions from an economics perspective, we are pretty clear what we mean. But I guess from a social perspective or a cultural perspective, they might have different connotations. And I think that will change now because of the, the, the move away from directing government assistance in the household basis in order to direct government assistance to uh, individuals on an individual basis. Jeffrey, that would be quite challenging, I think. Yeah, so I had a follow-up to that because um, to your point about it also being a social um, issue, um, how much of this is also a reflection of uh, the notions of what a family means, uh, what the notions of what a household means, shifting um, and perhaps these more hard economic approaches not yet evolving quickly enough? Yes, well, of course it does. Yes, it does. I mean, um, you, you could have... You could have a number of individuals who are not related at all. Um, my, my, my students, for example, I could have my, my students living in a shared um, accommodation. Uh, they're not at all related to each other. They're not a family unit. And it would be very difficult to describe them as a household. But they are nonetheless sharing various aspects of the costs of that living space. They're sharing the rental, they're sharing the electricity, they're sharing the utilities, but they're not at all related in any sort of fam family sense or any um, social sense. They just happen to be living in the same space. Um, whereas at the same time, you might have a, a, obviously a group of people who are a family unit. And this can be an extended family unit, including um, um, elderly par parents or sometimes even um, aunties and uncles who are not uh, necessarily um, um, your, your, your parents but are still nonetheless part of your extended family. And that can then extend the total costs of uh, running the, the household as a whole, but it would reduce the average cost per person. <laughs> Whereas if you are living in a single person household, you have no one to share those costs with. And therefore, actually, your, your personal costs are higher. So often we take the view that if you're in a family, you should be given more help because your costs are higher. But actually, if you're a, a, single, parent, a single person, um, you have nobody to divide or to share out the costs with. 
and therefore single people might well make a claim that they should have um, more assistance because they have to carry all of the burden of the costs of living without anybody else uh, helping them. So these things uh, have to be considered both from an economics perspective, but also from a sociological and cultural perspective. And in different countries, they ha they have different ways of doing this. For example, in the United Kingdom, where I'm com where I come from, it's very rare that parents will rely upon their children for income. Uh, it's almost unheard of, in, in, in my experience, at least. Jeffrey, we have uh, 30 seconds left. Anything you want to leave us with? Um, I think that the patio system is going to change a great deal in terms of what, uh, you know, in terms of the way we look at um, how people are receiving or, or eligible for benefits and welfare. And I think that it's really important and very good that now we've moved on to this discussion because this is really where the meat of the PADU system is and it's really where the most interesting aspects of it are and we have a lot of time actually to discuss these things and to sort these things out so that the government can get the policies in shape properly. Jeffrey, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. That was Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist and professor at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology, uh, speaking with us about PADU and specifically I think the different categories of information that it tries to encompass. Let us know, um, are you an M40 person who has been feeling that financial squeeze? What's your experience been? That number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Billions from me. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9. It is 6.52 and this is Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. And today we're talking about M40 things, M40 concerns. And this came uh, after a recent report from Banama where single M40 people... I, I mean, I'm actually kind of looking forward to not having to say M40 anymore because apparently we're phasing out these categories. But anyways... Um, Folks who belong in the middle income category who are single but who nevertheless have a lot of financial responsibilities were saying that Padu just does not give them enough avenues to accurately depict their financial situation. And so we, we've been asking you essentially, do you belong to the M40 group or, you know, the upper T20, uh, sorry, the the lower T20, yes. um, so that middle class, upper middle class group are you feeling that financial squeeze? You know, um, do you think Padu can kind of accommodate all these things? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a caller with us. We've got Zuriman. Zuriman, good evening. What are your thoughts? Hi, uh, I am uh, in the bracket of uh, M forty and lower T twenty. But my point is that as a citizen, I have performed my duty by getting my monthly income deducted by LHDN, which is quite hefty, 25% or less. And furthermore, some of my salary also being carved out for my EPF. And then that means I have contributed to the nation on that part. And then my expenses 
which is also everybody is feeling the pinch and rising cost there and here. Uh, I mean, if the PADU is uh, targeting only to give to those uh, eligible, which is the current uh, terminology is called B40, I, I mean, if, if the government is thinking to... Uh, uh, not to say deny, but not to give any more to public at large. I think it's very unfair because uh, I believe as a citizen, I've done my part and I have the right to enjoy the wealth of the nation. Uh, but, you know, if everything is just being focused to be 40, there will be a scenario, there will be a situation whereby I believe, you know, those uh, who are M40 or the lower T20, if you compare to those B40, after getting all the necessary uh, assistance from the government, actually they are better off than some of us who are trapped in the middle. Uh, that is my point. Uh, Zuriman, I'm just curious whether you've registered with Padu or whether you've tried to do that. I, I tried to do that, mm-hmm. actually, and I don't have any so-called technical issue uh, facing me, but I did not complete it. I did not complete it because then again, I think, uh, what will happen? Will they stay away? You know, uh, blacklist me from, for example, buying petrol at the subsidy rate, or you know, stay away. My TNB bill will be shoot up. Uh, that's my concern as a as a, a lightly affected person. Zuriman, thank you so much for calling and for sharing. You know, I I think that these reflect likely how a lot of people feel um, particularly with the impending removal of blanket subsidies. I think that it's very reflective of the kind of anxieties that we would have considering we've lived with these bl- this blanket approach for so long. No, that's absolutely it, right? I, I feel that some of these concerns, um, and, and I'm not saying they're not even valid because, um, you know, actually, as Zuriman said, uh, different people have such different experiences in terms of what their income goes towards. And if you're a taxpaying citizen, you do feel like, well, what are the benefits of being a taxpaying citizen? But I think some of this is also because we are just now coming out of a uh, blanket subsidy system where we're kind of used to uh, feeling a certain level of security, I think. Um, And it can be quite daunting to think about, well, what does it mean to be able to you know, to only be able to use non-subsidized petrol, for instance. We also have this from Fazli, who says, A little dark humour, government sayang B40 dan benci T20, tapi M40 di anak tirikan. So, um, if you don't speak Malay, it's the government loves the B40 and hates the T20, but the M40 is... The stepchild. The stepchild, thank you. I was trying to figure out how to verb, make a verb out of <laughs> stepchilded, which doesn't work in English. Yeah, I mean, you know, I actually think that um, this this is a little bit of a feeling that comes through whenever you do our budget shows. We always have um, people who fall into the, M, uh, uh, the M40 category saying, well, once again, there doesn't seem to be anyone for those in the middle income group or not enough, not enough that actually alleviates burdens. Okay, so I want to go back to um, what Zuriman started his call with because he said... I contribute. I contribute to the country. I've done my part. And I think that um, that in some ways is reflecting um, this this feeling that Fazli is talking about as well. So um, 
And what you mentioned, what do I get out of it? So this is what I've been doing this whole time. This is what I've been endeavouring to accomplish. But what do I gain? And I think that that actually is a very natural feeling. Of course, I think most of us believe in helping people who are less fortunate. Um, We understand that there is a need for that to happen. I think the extension of that feeling, though, of what about me, that can be a difficult one to, to reckon with fully. So I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate here, right? The what about me feeling though, then the thing is, at what point at what point do you stop needing assistance? Yes, yes. Because I'm sure everybody at every level can make a case for why they are a taxpaying citizen and therefore should continuously enjoy these subsidies or this sort of help. At what point do you say, well, actually, I can do this with my income. These subsidies should be for those who are truly in need. Yes, Um I I do think it's a very difficult conversation. I think it's especially difficult. um, It's especially difficult talking about it with city cost of living, with urban cost of living. So so there are some particularities to being from here or living here uh, that make it I think that adds some nuance here. Uh, So tell us, we're talking today about the M40. Do you belong to this kind of this category, this bracket, do you feel sufficiently supported by the government, especially with the Padu rollout? Let us know. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9. It is 7.07 and this is Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. So our story today has its roots in Padu, um, but we are extending the conversation to be about the M40 in a broader sense because there were there was a report that essentially indicated that folks who belong in that M40 category, particularly single people who nevertheless have a number of people relying on them financially, said that the categories on Padu just didn't give them enough room to accurately depict their financial situation. And that had us thinking essentially about government support, particularly for the M40. So let us know, um, are you M40? Do you feel sufficiently supported by the government? If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a voice note actually that came in from TIDJ. I think the same problem with when they were talking about welfare aid also comes the question with Padu. Um, some of the lower income, okay, I, I know it's mostly supposed to be the M40 brackets, but one of your listeners brought up about the retirees, and some of these retirees are not exactly tax heavy. So they're not going to be able to register properly unless their children help them. But their children, if they're working and coming from the M40 group, are too busy probably to, to help their parents. Uh, and yeah, I just think Padu is it's a good first step, but it needs to be improved on. TIDJ, thank you for that. So um, I think that that point about tech savviness and whether that is a gap that has been sufficiently bridged is a good one, um, particularly 
this is always the thing, right? Particularly if we're going to be talking about centralization and, and moving everybody towards getting on that platform. I agree. I mean, it is perhaps a, a, an adjacent point, but I do think it is important when we're talking about getting buy-in that people need to see Padu as a tool, not just that is helpful for them, but one that is easy to access. Um, and that actually um, is something we covered on our show when we talked about Padu. Uh, Dr. Rachel Gong, in fact, talked about it. Um, we have Benjamin who says, when you have more than what you need, build a longer table, not a taller fence. Tax should be used for nation building, not for each of us to maximise in terms of subsidies and rebates. Instead of us fighting amongst ourselves on who should profit the most from the tax system, we should concentrate our efforts on making the country a better place. Hold elected representatives accountable, don't tolerate corruption, question wasteful government expenditure. Why fight among ourselves for breadcrumbs when we can achieve much more than that? Benjamin, I... I like that a lot. Um, I think it is true that often these conversations can feel like we're pitting group against group. Um, I was, in fact, saying to Lynn during the break how um, talking about middle income concerns can often leave even middle income people feeling guilty about highlighting those concerns because, you know, there's this tendency to say, well, who am I to talk about my financial difficulties when there are people who are much worse off, right? Um, but I think you're right that the reality is that actually the people we should be holding account, things like government expenditure, um, corruption, are things we should be collectively calling out rather than, um, I suppose, on the one hand, looking at each other like the enemy, but on the other hand, also thinking of the tax system as somehow owing us something. Uh, yes, I, I, while I agree, I think that the challenge here, to be honest, is the rat race. Mm. It, it is the fact that we are all on that that rat race treadmill, right? Where we're constantly trying to get enough or feel like we have enough, get enough for our loved ones. Um, and, and that is as much about hard mathematics. And I think that in some ways is the theme of our show, that while in terms of your numbers, in terms of your pure, you know, kind of what you are as an economic fact, you might have enough. You might be M40. Why aren't you comfortable? Um, the truth of how you feel existing within that bracket is quite another thing. You could be, according to the government, comfortable, right? You're, you're in the middle. Um, but your lived experience of it is quite different. And I think that feeling that, that tightness, that financial tightness throughout um, is what keeps people from being able to live to your higher ideals, Benjamin, which I agree are, are mm. what we should be aspiring to. Um, it's just tough. Well, the rat race actually then goes back to the larger problem of a lot of this comes down to are people making enough? Have our incomes kept kept uh, a pace with what things cost? And it's a it's a boring and not great argument to keep bringing up. But actually, the truth is we haven't. People are still earning far too little to contend with how much life costs, like you said, especially in urban spaces these days. So um, we have, let's see... Um Okay, we've got this from Nick who says, people who believe they're M40 will realise they are actually T20. I heard that if you're paying taxes, then you are likely already the T20 or upper M40. Is that true? Uh, okay, there, there are a few separate thoughts here. I'm just going to answer, I think, firstly, the, the second part of the question. So if you are paying taxes... You, that does not necessarily mean that you are T20 or upper M40, actually, mm. um, by any stretch of the imagination. No, because actually the... the yes, I, I agree 
that there are many people who don't fall under the taxpaying base because their income is low. Um, I, I just or look, they just never had to pay tax. Uh, I just looked it up. So the minimum is 34000 a year net after deducting EPF. So in other words, uh, the monthly salary of an individual income taxpayer begins at about 2008. So 2833 So no, definitely not upper M40. Yeah, but also... The thing is, we do have actual data uh, that those who technically fall under the M40 um, would instead fall into what we are increasingly calling the B60. That's something that we've talked, we've started talking about more and more alongside arguments of how these categories don't really de- uh, depict the real picture on the ground. Yeah, but Nick, I, I understand what you're saying. I think that you're talking about people who are probably earning, say, eight and up. Um, if if I just had to attach a number to it, um, where they live on that cusp of M40, T20 and how that, I think we often hear from people within this category, but I would suggest actually, if you haven't yet um, read the article that we're referring to, the one that from Banama, it actually kind of lays out quite clearly how somebody could technically belong to that category, but also after all monthly expenditure all monthly expenditures are out, particularly including the people who depend on them, say their parents or their siblings, they might be left with not a lot. So I think that's where yeah. that's coming from, that feeling. Yes, and, and that's actually what um, what leaves people feeling like they're unsupported, right? In fact, um, somebody on Twitter, a 1337 queen, uh, to our question about do you feel sufficiently supported by the government just replies, what support? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think you're not alone there. Keep those thoughts coming. We want to hear from you. Are you in the M40 category? Do you feel sufficiently supported by the government in terms of what they currently offer, uh, whether it's subsidies or you know financial support, just anything in that vein? Let us know. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can send a WhatsApp there also and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bias Free Media, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, it is 7.20 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sharmila. We're closing off our conversation today on the challenges, the financial challenges that folks in the M40 category face. We're asking you essentially about that, particularly whether you belong to the M40 category and whether you feel sufficiently supported by government initiatives. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We have a message from Anon. All right, so anonymous listener says, I'm a soon-to-be retiree who still has the same number of dependents, some of them extended aging family members because their children are no longer around or who are also not in a position to provide for them comfortably. Such dependents are never tax-exempted and one less source of income to things definitely don't look good for everyone. By the way, being an M40 on the lower level, my EPF is barely enough for myself, much less for these needy relatives. Next on the agenda would be a lot of effort to 
to convince my potential future employers that I'm still employable. I'm not looking to Padu to be able to help me effectively. It's about time the authorities also look to giving work opportunities that old workhorses like myself who want to remain in the workforce for as long as we're able. In short, why should there be a specific age to retire? All right, so that was a bit of a journey um, and there are a few things really packed into that. Maybe we start with that point about wanting to continue working. Actually, this is something that we've talked about on the show a lot. And I think um, it's increasingly acknowledged that this is likely a reality for a lot of people, that um, folks are going to continue to need to work maybe well beyond what they originally planned. So... There is that. Um, I, I don't know about why should there be a specific age to retire. I think that's maybe a deeper conversation and one that we can explore in more detail because there are also conversations about fresh, um, fresher people in the workforce and opportunities and things like yes. that. Um, but that point about work opportunities and how the government can further incentivize that. Because we tend to see that come out in the form of um, tax subsidies, in encouraging companies to actually hire people, but it's also often in specific um, in specific industries. Yes. So, Anand, actually, you, you did hit upon something that I thought was quite interesting, right? Because perhaps subsidies in the traditional sense is not something that is open to a person like yourself in the M40, um, that that does have dependence but finds yourself unable to exactly um, accommodate these sorts of financial needs. But perhaps this is where the government could um, help in a sense, right? Uh, to be able to provide, if not work opportunities, perhaps opportunities for upskilling mm. that could be tax exempt or perhaps subsidized. Uh, perhaps there are other ways in which these um, these difficult times can be cushioned that isn't just about subsidizing your direct expenses. To your point, though, um, yeah, I I don't think that this is an. In some ways, in some ways, this is the quintessential sandwich generation story, aging family members, um, children who are growing up but not yet in the workforce who may be in higher education that requires more expenditure. There are all these things that are very. It's, it's hard to paint a full picture. Actually, a non-situation really does make me think about how increasingly difficult it is and going to be to accommodate non-traditional family structures. Yes. And I use the yes. word for family quite intentionally because sometimes I have conversations with my friends about growing old together and moving in together. Um, Retirement communes. Yes. So many people are talking yeah. about that. Um, what about partners that don't ever want to get married, for instance? What does that look like in terms of who the dependent is? Who's going to care for them? Um, and I know that we cannot expect the government to accommodate every type of need, but perhaps there is value in at least starting to think about it. Well, as our guest, um, Professor Jeffrey Williams, talk talked about earlier, we're at the meat of the conversation yeah. now. We're at the good part. And so maybe these are some threads that we will continue to explore um, in future shows. Thank you, everybody, for getting in touch today. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note to 018-789-8899. You can send a WhatsApp there also and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.